0: And welcome to episode 29 of the Ski Instructor Podcast. My name is Dave Burrows and I'm the director and owner of Snowpro Ski School based here in the Port de Soleil in Switzerland. This week's interview is with Alex Armand from Tip Top Ski Coaching based in Alpes in France. Um, This interview is originally scheduled to go out um, a bit later in December, but we talked about a lot of relevant information about French skiing, right now and and, uh, and what's going on in the Alps on the French side so I thought we'd push this one forward so um, so the one that was before that which is an interview with Blair Aitken that's going to be going out later on in December um, it's a great interview and, and I highly recommend that you tune into that one but that's going to be episode 30. Um, in this interview here we uh, we talk about Alex's um, skiing history, we talk about what it's like to be an uh, entrepreneur in, in, uh, in Des Alpes um we talk a little bit about gender in skiing as well um or ski instructing and uh, we talk about the gap program that she runs there as well amongst uh, amongst the other aspects of her business um i really enjoyed this interview with alex and and I, and I hope that um i hope that you're going to enjoy this first half and then we get really stuck into the uh um the discussions about french skiing at the moment in in the second half so uh i'll see you somewhere in the middle and uh, enjoy enjoy this part i on, how are you?
1: Hi, good evening, yep, very well, thank you, and yourself?
0: I'm doing very well, thank you, welcome to the uh, Ski Instructor Podcast, uh, it's a pleasure to have you, and you are currently sitting in Les Dues Alpes, uh, somewhere, somewhere in yeah, France? Yeah,
1: just below Les Dues Alpes, actually, I live okay. in uh, Bourg d'Oisans, so uh, the village that's at the bottom of the 21 bends up to outdoors actually, uh, uh, but I work in Les Le Dues Alpes.
0: Okay, so you go up there every morning, up those twenty-one bends.
1: Uh, well, the twenty-one bends go to Alpe d'Huez, oh, sorry. Um, right, and okay. I work in in out Uh But yeah, I uh, so it's about twenty minutes. Okay, I've... and in fact, there's a cable car from Venosc, so uh, it's about ten minutes to Venosc, and then you can get a cable car into the into the resort.
0: Oh, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, that's really good. I've 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 done Alpe d'Huez before. Now you rem- now you you've mentioned it. I've stayed in Borg. What did you call it, Bourg
1: de, uh, de... It's Bourg d'Oison.
0: Okay. I've definitely stayed there before because I had a I'd failed Eurotest in out Duez And uh, I've done the morning commute for that, that Eurotest was the 21 bends of the Alpe d'Oise uh, climb. And, um, and then a, a very weird experience on the, uh, on the, on, on the, on the stad of Alpe d'Huez, uh, yeah. where Literally, it was just one strip of kind of sheet ice and everything else was green. It was really,
1: really, stra- <laughs>
0: really strange early season Eurotest. <laughs> really, really strange experience, and a funny track actually. The Outdoors Eurotest as well. You know, like you go. Along yeah,
1: that it's a bit flat at, the, at the, top. the top, isn't it? I passed
0: my Eurotest and outdoors, so I know it well. Ah, okay. Oh, good for you. <laughs> good for you. So, let's talk about. We always start with like the the, the skiing history of, uh, of of the interviewee. Um, yeah. where, where, how, where where did your sort of journey to, that took you to wait where, where did it all begin for you
1: um well I guess it began on um on family ski holidays really um so we skied as a family as a child so I suppose I was about 10 when I started so not not super young hmm. um and then I pretty quickly actually changed over to snowboarding as soon as my um my parents would let me as soon as they, they felt that I wasn't <laughs> going to have to hold them up I think right <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, spent a couple of years with uh, a very sore bottom and <laughs> falling over yeah. um, and in fact went on to to do um, I think what was called then the artificial slope or dry slope snowboarder instructor, um, instructor yeah. uh, and worked at Sheffield whilst I was at university in Leeds
0: Okay.
1: Uh, just at weekends um, and then in fact I came back to skiing because I did a season in Val d'Isere as a snowboarder and realized that if i wanted to to work in the mountains that in fact i needed to be a ski instructor at the time rather than a snowboard instructor mm. um so thought that i'd better start to learn to ski again i obviously had the basics yeah um of a snowplow anyway at least and uh, <laughs> <laughs> um and so i spent my season um skiing in valdezir basically and getting back into it yeah I did my baysy level one at the end of that season and that was kind of the um uh, at the start of it all mm.
0: What what prompted you to go for the base? So you you were doing a sort of regular season air thing over there, and then, then what prompted you to do the the ski instructor thing at the end of that first season?
1: Well, during that season, I think in my mind, I quite liked the idea of um, of staying in the mountains, hmm. um, and I quite liked the idea of being an instructor. I think originally my in my mind was being a snowboard instructor because that's uh, the equipment that I was on at the time, hmm. um, and realised in fact if I wanted to be a snowboard instructor, I had to learn to ski yeah or relearn to ski or learn to ski a lot better than I skied before <laughs> mm. um and so and so yeah that's that, that's where I took up skiing and I guess because of the Bayesley system as you all know um you end up spending so much time on skis that I quite quickly became a better skier than than I was snowboarder so mm. then all your focus stays on on skiing although I did teach snowboarding out here for for quite a while
0: do you not do any of that anymore
1: not really. Um, no, it's been a while since I've uh, taught snowboarding.
0: <laughs> it's been a while since I've gotten a snowboard too. i have to same. <laughs> I I have toyed with the idea though. I think I might have a go at this 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 winter again, just for just for fun. Well,
1: it's good fun. I mean, to be honest, it's probably been a couple of years since I've actually done some turns on the snowboard. When we had snow earlier this season um back in sort of September October time it was. Yeah. Um with some friends we built a kicker and uh I went on my snowboard. <laughs> um which was quite fun. But uh, but that's probably the first time I've been on a snowboard in a, in a couple of years.
0: <laughs> I've set, I've spent the last few weekends uh on the glaciers here in Switzerland so I've been in um Diableray and Zermatt and, uh, and stuff like that. Like you
1: what's the snow like?
0: Uh, do you know what? I don't, I don't want to make your uh, your situation any worse, but it is uh it was brilliant actually. <laughs> Like it's really in Zermatt, it was so good, really, really good. And then the snow on the glacier at the moment in Diablo Diablerets is just out of this world. Like it's so grippy, and it's so kind of how do you explain? We're just so glaciery, you know. Um, it's just yeah, it's brilliant. I went, although I did have let's say I went to Verbier last weekend with my daughter because they'd done their usual Verbier thing where they opened up the um, opened up the top bit like really early and there were just like too many people and and there were like rocks and all sorts of stuff it was a bit early
1: yeah somebody said to me that Verbier didn't have huge amounts of snow
0: yeah yeah so they've, they've been making snow like crazy actually up there so they've managed to open it down to ruin but um I can't imagine gonna be brilliant I'm, I'll, I'll give you a report on it when I'm up there because I'm up there again on Saturday so uh, so we'll see how that, that goes
1: lucky you well as soon as the snow comes here we'll be out <laughs> ski touring hopefully they've said that we're allowed to ski tour at least
0: yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, well let's not jump the gun on that because I have got a bubble a thought bubble here that says current COVID situation France so we're gonna we're gonna cover that one
1: <laughs> yeah
0: well, there's depth.
1: probably plenty to talk about there isn't there <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly Monsieur Macaron and his uh, his his edicts so um, so after that first season when you, you you did your level one and stuff like that, so that brought you back to Val did it or did you go somewhere else after that what was
1: um, no in fact I went back to the UK and got um, I suppose what, what what we would all call a, a proper job a real job um, <laughs> <laughs> for a little bit. Yeah. So I worked in um, in sports development okay.
0: um,
1: in the London Borough of Hounslow okay. um, for a couple of years, 18 months, I think, okay. and then realised that, um, in fact, I enjoyed all the coaching of the kids and, you know, uh, I did quite a bit of work with kids, um, trying to keep them out of crime and, uh, you know, and into sport, mm. um, community sports leaders awards, and we set up something called the Street Games, stuff like that. Hmm. But you spend a lot of your time applying for grants, yeah. um, and I felt as if I wasn't doing exactly what I wanted to do by applying for grants. Hmm. So, um, so I made the jump back into coming back here and trying to to, um, to follow the ski instructor um, qualification line. Hmm. Um, and I came to Lay Dzau by chance, really. So I, I actually came back to Dzau that summer uh, because of the glacier. Okay. Liked it. Made some contacts here. Um, had some friends from my first season in Val there that were in fact going to be here that winter mm-hmm. um, and so uh, so decided to come here um, out of uh, out of liking it and out of knowing a few people and having a few contacts to find some accommodation and what have you yeah Um, and basically just loved it and have stayed here ever since really
0: yeah it's a familiar story that you know the people come and they stay you stay in a place that they they, 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 you know, they sort of fall for.
1: It's um, Yeah, for sure.
0: It's certainly true of this region here that I'm in. I think if it wasn't this this region, which I, I love because it's so, you know, everything's so close. You know, you can get, yeah, I'm saying this is a big thrill in my life, but you can get to the, you know, Geneva Airport really easily. You, you know, there's lots to do down by the lake, but also you're not very far away from some seriously, you know, good skiing as well. Um, yeah, and yeah, if it was, if it wasn't there, the other place that I would be is the uh, the Aosta Valley. That would be the other. Okay, the other spot, I, do
1: you know what? I've you? never skied the Aosta Valley.
0: I yeah, to. I just I'm in love with it. Every time I go over there, like the food's good, people are nice, like the scenery's stunning. I think it's uh, it's a it's a wonderful place. But um, but yeah, uh, anyway, I digress. So so <laughs> that then so, uh, led us up and then you and then you what? You started working your way through, the various um the various qualifications and, and climbing the uh climbing the slippery pole
1: yeah basically so i did that first season when i came back which was for the six weeks at the end of the season i did my level two because it happened to be on and does that i was there mm. um with james lister actually so our okay. basie chairman at the moment Mm-hmm. Um, who used to have a shop here and does that? Okay. And then um, and then that summer, somebody somebody along the line somewhere told me that I that if I hadn't raced before, which I hadn't, um, that I should start race training. So I joined um, Dave Morris and the podium team okay. uh, and did some some training with them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, learned about racing. Yeah. And then uh, and carried on through the system really, and I was lucky enough to get through the system. I did the whole of the Level 3 that following winter. And, in fact, I got through when you could still apply to be a stagiaire in France. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so I was one of the last people that got, got through on that um, uh, that system. Yeah. So I was very lucky. So I, um, after that one season of working, um, doing sort of lots of different jobs hmm. and trying to train and going off doing my exams, um, I applied for my... Um, uh for my license to be a stagiaire, okay um and got my paperwork so worked for um a small french esi ski school here in ladies Al called uh saint christophe um and so whilst i was going through the system um, i worked with them
0: Oh wow, that's really cool. You don't so, know which was have
1: good for lots of reasons, including improving my French and you know mm. being actually a part of the the, the community of um, the French community within the resort and stuff. I think.
0: Yeah, well, I think then you would be extremely well positioned for me to me to ask you a question later about you know exactly the role that the 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 community community ski schools have within the mountain communities because that's it's always one of the big things that that i'd like to talk about is 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 that kind of cultural element as to what skiing means to the people who live there um as opposed to you know just coming in for as a ski instructor you know, December through to April, and then leaving again with all the cash in your pocket. You know, there's more to there's more to the communities up here than than, than just that. Uh, yeah,
1: for sure, and I think maybe Ledgers Up as well has got maybe um a, a less instructors that you know just come for the season and and, mm-hmm. and go away, than but perhaps the you know the key. Big, big French resorts like I don't know, Marybuck or Chamel, Val
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's and that that I'm sure that that stores up some resentment in in amongst the locals. You know, in in those places where you've got large amounts of ski instructors who come and go and don't, you know, don't necessarily contribute either. From a community point of view or from a, you know, taxis point of view and that kind of thing, you know, when you're, when you're in a place and you kind of understand what it means to work for the Red School or it works, you know, work for the, the, the ESI, as you say, it, you, you really build those connections and you start to understand who does what in your community and what role they have. It's, it's, it's really quite an important thing
1: yeah I mean there's lot, there's lots in there I mean the, the the ESI is blue for example in France and yeah. then the ESF is red and they're the two normally the two sort of local ski schools. Yeah. Uh, and it depends what region you're from as to to what their relationships uh, are uh, we're very lucky in leaders out that everybody has a very nice relationship it's one of the things that i really like about Le Desalbe. I find it um a very friendly place i find that my clients find it a really friendly place mm. um and that there isn't really any animosity on the you know on the piece or on the hill um at all so sometimes when i need an extra instructor because um uh, I suppose that I would be classed as an independent instructor, so there's only really me for tip top ski coaching. Mm-hmm. But I quite often have um, bigger projects uh, or projects, such as um, a gap project with three groups with non stop. Um, snow yeah
0: um
1: and i use instructors from other ski schools um i work with the ski club of great britain quite a lot as well so i use quite a lot of other instructors um for that as well yeah um and it's quite nice to be able to work with all of the other different ski schools and pick i find it's really good actually because you can pick the instructor that you want uh for the client that you've got rather than picking the instructor because of the color of their jacket
0: yeah 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 tell me about it yeah
1: (laughs) which is um (laughs) which is ideal (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, well, I I think that's the route. I think we're going to end up going down a little bit um, this season uh, with, with, with my ski school because I deliberately cut the team down a little bit and then I've lost one of my instructors because he didn't want to come. He he's, turns out he's has mega busy um, in the UK. He's normally a tennis coach. So, he's, you know, it's one of the sports that they can do over there at the moment. Oh, so yeah,
1: everyone's allowed absent. to play tennis again
0: yeah. now, aren't they? In the yeah, UK? so he's stacked, you know, stacked with work. And he doesn't really want to, in this current climate, he doesn't really want to, you know, give that up to come and do a four-month season and then go, go home again, you know. Um, so my team's ended up a lot smaller than, than it was last year, for sure. And so now I'm actually, I don't know, but I now have the opportunity to kind of, like you say, pick other people I know or other people who are, you know, that that I'd like to work with for certain things and say to those people, because everyone's sort of, you know, a little bit light on work this winter and say, look, can you come and help me out with this? Can you come and help me out with this? And it's really, I'm really excited about this season, about the quality of people that we're able to put in, in front of our clients for specific things, you know? It's really cool.
1: I think it's fantastic, and it's also fantastic to be able to uh, to build relationships with all the different ski schools and see everybody working together. I think it's lovely to see uh, all all different coloured jackets going out with one group of person. Yeah,
0: yeah, group of people. Yeah, for sure. Let's finish off this story about how you how you qualified. So <laughs> how so, I qualified. Yeah, the le- obviously you know working your way through the level four and Eurotests and all that sort of stuff. Like, how, how was how was that part of? Or how was it to end, you know, to finish all of that off?
1: Um, well, I very much enjoyed the racing personally. Um, so I suppose, and also because somebody gave me a, um, a a tip when I passed my level one, I suppose, saying telling me to get straight into racing. So yeah. I didn't leave it until I'd done everything else till I started racing. Yeah. Um, and I suppose a bit of a competitive spirit helps a little bit then. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> so, uh, so I enjoyed the Euro test stuff. Do you know, I think you do have to do quite a lot of training in order to pass the Eurotest test if you haven't raced before. Yeah. Um, but as I enjoyed it, I didn't find that, um, you know, a massive hardship. Um, and I did training with um, with Podium, uh, so with Dave Morris and his team. Um, I had links with the European Ski School, so I went over to Cario and trained with the Cario Club quite a lot. Okay. Um, and um, that came through the European Ski School. Um, yeah. And uh, and I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the, um, the Italian... Um, system as it were of racing (laughs) um and yeah so then afterwards so i passed my euro test and then started working on my level four tech really so the other things slotting in in between
0: i'm gonna have to jump in and ask you because i can hear my can hear listeners asking what why did you enjoy the italian sort of approach to racing and how they do stuff like what was what was so good about that
1: they're quite direct. I mean, I think I think in all honesty, with my experience um, of other people, mm. um, not everybody enjoys it because they are quite direct and to the point, mm-hmm. but you're never um, unsure about what you need to change. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so there's less, um, what should we say, wrapping it in cotton wool or molly coddling and yeah. it's very much, that's what you need to do. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, once you realise, then this is fine. But there's very little of like, yeah, that was amazing. It's like, oh, well, now you need to change that. Yeah. So uh, so you're always moving on to the next thing. There's no wasted time.
0: Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's interesting that they should be so direct. You wouldn't, I don't know.
1: I'll yeah. No, not, so not, but the, the other thing the is, initially, they can shut off piece for training. Do you know, their, their longer piece, maybe. Do you know, it's not just the stad. Yeah. Um, there's quite a bit more flexibility, I think, for racing in Italy than um, uh, than perhaps in France, or my experience in France. I mean, Le ups a little bit different again, because obviously in the summer we've got hundreds of lanes up on the on the glacier, yeah. And you can just book a lane. And in fact, the resort are quite accommodating for you know managing to book a uh, piece and what have you. Mm. Um, but in Italy, I think it's just normal practice that there's somebody skiing gates on various different pieces every morning.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you do see that. You do see that. And my, I usually have an early season visit to Trevinia, which I won't be able to do this year, but there's always some little grums out there racing racing something.
1: Yeah, well, I think they're still racing in Trevinia, aren't they? I think Trevinia um, is actually still open for... Um, I think for
0: the clubs, cl- yeah. Clubs and teams. For clubs, usually, or, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's true. But i, I get getting the impression, though, that you probably respond... This is just me shooting this in the air so if you're you're more sensitive than I've appreciated (laughs) uh, (laughs) then feel free to shoot me down but it strikes me that you I I get the impression that you probably responded fairly well to that that more direct Italian approach
1: I think so I think I wanted to get the job done
0: yeah okay
1: um but yeah i think uh, i i enjoyed that i mean don't get me wrong i enjoyed all the other coaching that i've had as well and when you go through the system as you all know you uh you experience lots and lots and lots of different styles and types and mm. uh, of coaching and exams as well because obviously doing the exams you're being coached as well so yeah um and and as with everything some people you get on with much better or feel that you're learning much more with it than other people but yeah. That's um d- down to the uh, down to the coaches, or what I would say to me and my team of instructors is, it's down to that's down to the coach to adapt their style to uh, to the person in front of them.
0: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair enough. Okay, so you're one of the unusual people who got the are out of the way early and then concentrated on the uh, the other bits, which yes. uh, which in in Basie land is skiing, zip line, moguls, and uh, and and that kind of thing. Um, and then what you then so then Finished off the system and and away you go.
1: Um, yeah, pretty much. So uh, when I finished off the system, um, I stopped working for the um, ESI San Cristof. Yeah. And started working for the European Ski School. Okay. Which is, I suppose, the the British ski school in Lidozalp, although it's Italian really, rather than British. But. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, so I worked for them for quite a few years until i set up uh, i think i passed in 2011 and i set up Tip Top ski coaching in the winter months it was already running in the summer but in the winter months uh, i'll be going to my third season now okay
0: all right and so okay I was about to say and how is it, but that's a terrible question to be asking right now. Um, and how
1: so... is it? <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> no, we'll come to we'll come to that. We'll come to that. Why apart
1: I... from the fact that the resort isn't open, yeah, it's yeah. very good. Yeah. Oh god.
0: <laughs> I know, I know. It's um so t- look th- this is let's jump to this because I wanted to talk to you about out, but let's jump to, to this. So um, you're quite a quite a rare thing then in in the world of skiing not only fully qualified uh female istd and i don't particularly want to make a big thing out of it because you're female because female is female male is male but a female entrepreneur in skiing is is actually really rare you know you don't you don't find that very often there's not very many of you in the There's probably
1: more of us than you think there are actually but um but yeah uh
0: i know i know i know two or three but I'm not, you know, my my experience might be limited.
1: Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, uh, I don't actually think whether you're male or female, um, as far as your teaching ability really makes much difference. I mean, some people, I suppose, might feel more comfortable with a female. Um, mm. You could say that the classic scenario of the fact that we might be a little bit more understanding. Um, yeah. Of you know fear or uh, or or, or of not feeling very confident or you know whatever it might be. Um, but I like to think that I can do all of that side of things um, for those that need it, yeah. and those that want to be a little bit more gung ho and go a little bit faster or a little bit steeper or a little bit deeper if it's off piste. Um, that you know that, that I can do that as well. So
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. and what made uh, the only reason I say that and I, I, it annoys me if I'm honest. The, the, this whole focus <laughs> on on um, uh, you say it? there's a sort of overemphasis on on. Um, and I'm bringing up a, a daughter, right, so I've got a three-year-old daughter at home and, and there's a lot of, a lot of people who, who seem to be really pushing this kind of, um, this sort of female angle. Like, oh, there's, it, it, it's big
1: know, at, whatever, at the moment, isn't it? So yeah, there's a big, what it, what uh, there's it, a big it, movement to have uh, yeah, it, all it, female groups or… Um...
0: It, it kind of drives me a little bit bananas. Uh, no, well, yeah, also that, but also, you know, the, 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 the hanging of certain labels on, on it because it's a female thing and the way i look at it is i'm also I'm saying I'm bringing up my daughter but, but my, am i how do i explain this properly i don't want to get too i don't want to get i don't want to trip myself up by saying the wrong thing <laughs> and having like 50 million people email me but what what i suppose i'm trying to say is that i don't want to be bringing up my daughter with her having the impression that there's like a secret cabal of men who are holding her back
1: I think, uh, only... personally, I think it's more about what um, skills and attributes a person has. Yeah. You and know, that's probably the... the most important thing to, uh, well, if you want to talk about your daughter, to bring her up with the right skills and attributes. But yeah. if you're looking at choosing a ski instructor, it's looking at choosing the instructor that fits what you want. So mm. where's their expertise? Where's their experience? Um, are they in the right resort for you? Where do you want to go? Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, it, I mean all it, of it, all of those things are much more important whether than than whether they're male or female.
0: That's right. And in the end it shouldn't really matter, should it? you know no and in fact actually um resistance. i'll
1: tell you that it doesn't matter because um my name is alexandra but obviously i'm known as alex so yeah. i have a lot of people that think i'm going to be male before they book me yeah uh, they're always surprised when they turn up and i'm female <laughs> um and i would say like a high percentage of my clients rebook me again so it obviously hasn't bothered them too much that <laughs> i've been a girl when they have turned up
0: yeah <laughs> yeah it's uh <laughs> No, if like I could say that, that and, and to me, that that's one of the biggest things, right? It, it literally shouldn't matter. And the, this sort of overemphasis that there is on all... There was a real big thing that went through... I don't know, it must have been... It's all been overtaken by the COVID thing now. But, like, before all that stuff happened, there was just endless chat about this stuff. And the way I look at it is that it doesn't matter who you are. You have the equality of opportunity. So you can make... the, the you can make out of your life whatever you want you just have to put the effort in you know at the front end, i I genuinely don't think that there you know like i say there isn't this sort of secret club of people trying to hold people back it can't can't be like that
1: equally i guess if if girls would prefer to ski with girls then you know that's okay as well
0: yes it is but then like you say that that already exists right so so you can just book you up or find you you know, yep. in, in the same way, if you've got a bunch of blokes who want to ski with me, then you know, because you know, I don't know, lads, 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 whatever, that's fine. That also exists. The product is out there for you, the client, to go and get. That isn't it?
1: Yeah, of course it is. It's about choosing the instructor that you that, that you want for their, hmm. like I said before, for the for the attributes that they've got. Um, whether that's. Uh, you know, lots of experience off peace. Lots of experience with slightly more nervous people. Lots of experience working with kids. Mm. Um, whatever, whatever they put down as their unique selling points, I suppose. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So tell me about this. Talking of unique selling points. So what made you start your your, your own gig? What was uh, what was the thing that that made you made you do it?
1: Um, I. I used to run a nannying business before um, called Snow Angel Nannies, which um, some people will have heard of, Um, and I stopped doing that because I wanted to concentrate on my skiing, so it was the natural next step for me, really.
0: Okay. Oh, so you'd run your own thing before?
1: Yeah, and I wanted to run my own thing again, I think.
0: Do you take orders very well from other people?
1: I can take orders if required.
0: (laughs) If required. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh-huh. there's a, it's it's funny though. there's a you know i i strongly believe that if you're gonna there's a there's a sort of small percentage of the population who who just have it in them to run their own thing and they have to do it because otherwise they kind of just spend most of their time thinking that their boss is an idiot and it's a very nasty it's a difficult place to be in If you're, if you've got that kind of mindset, you know, if you're,
1: yeah, I mean, I think also, I think it's also about the challenge, I think as well, I think uh, for me, so, you know, you're, you're not just teaching skiing, you're also, you know, doing the marketing, doing the accounts, Mm. running the business, um, dealing with the relationships, networking, so it's sort of the whole, the whole picture.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Is but I have still got a very good relationship with all of the ski schools that I've worked for in the past. and still work with them in resorts. So um, Yeah, yeah. So that, that that's a good thing and I think an important thing as well.
0: Mm-hmm. I was, um, when, I, when I first started up, I wanted to kind of fight everybody who seemed to cross me. And, uh, <laughs> and I've realised that you can't really do that. You've got to try and be, uh, try and be a bit more diplomatic. Yeah. Um, You know, these days, as I'm getting older, I'm seeing the value in that. But uh, but I've still got people on my uh, on my hit list for sure. Um, There there is a list. So um, (laughs) tell tell me uh, in terms of um, what was I going to go ask you next? The in terms of like the first three years of it, how has that been? Apart, let's let's put this year aside. But for the first kind of year or two of, of getting it going. Has it has it gone as you expected? You know, what 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 were the most difficult things?
1: Um, you've so I think for me, because it was already running in the summer months, I already had a client base. I already had a client base of my own anyway, mm-hmm. um, which I suppose is another sort of natural reason to to become your own entity. Mm. Um. So we already had a busy business partnership. Okay. Uh, we already had. Um, I already had the contract with the ski club of Great Britain um, which was growing rather than shrinking Mm -hmm. although let's see see what happens this year yeah yeah Um, and various of my own clients I was very careful not to take the clients from the ski school, you know, not to to tread on their toes. And I think that that was respected by both parties in that, that, Mm -hmm. that scenario because they had contracts with tour operators and stuff. Yeah. Um, And then really word of mouth and um, social, the magic of social media using that for marketing. Mm. Um, My website was already there existed. So it was just a matter of expanding it. Yeah. Um, And various sort of, you know, articles and, you know, uh, Uh, trying to speak to journalists and podcasts and things like that Um, but yeah no so it actually went went well and then of course you've got your clients in resort as well so whilst we would all like to be fully booked before the beginning of the season Mm. um, you do by default pick up clients in resort who either haven't booked yet um, or perhaps didn't get on quite as well as they thought they did on the first day or for me perhaps didn't enjoy the group lessons so mm-hmm. that wanted a more you know a private lesson or um uh, you know there are heaps of scenarios that happen aren't there so there yeah, are um yeah. lessons that you pick up as well in resort um i think um i also speak french so the french don't book quite so far in advance so they do tend to book a little bit more um in resort so that helps on that side as well oh, really? and i'm hoping that that will help me this year
0: yeah yeah that's interesting so, so your your typical French experience is what they arrive in resort and then look around for a ski school.
1: Yeah, I mean the typical French experience is that they arrive in resort and go to ESF. <laughs> um, yeah, but the um, they're
0: conditioned the, to from a young age, like it's yeah. Do it.
1: But the atypical French is that they arrive in resort and start ringing around. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you know I make sure that I've got flyers in you know apartment blocks and hotels and what have you. Yeah,
0: um, huh?
1: to try. When, when needed.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. they don't seem to be quite as organised. It's funny, the Anglophone mindset seems to be get it all booked in advance. And, uh, yeah, it seems to be a bit more, bit more last minute seems to be the Francophone mindset. There,
1: there's maybe um, an element of supply and demand in that as well, because if you're coming on your holiday uh, to Lidl's and you want a British instructor, you haven't got a huge choice. Mm. Yeah. So if you arrive on I don't know February half term on the Sunday and ring any of the British instructors, you probably wouldn't wouldn't get any lessons. Right. Um, So I think that you know depending on what you want from your ski lesson. then it's quite important to book, to book in advance. I do think it's actually much better to book in advance and know where you are. Um, the other thing I suppose for me is sometimes people would book like two or three days, you know, see how they get on. And then uh, I quite often find that if I've got the time, that those people will want to book the rest of the days in that week.
0: Oh, that's, that's, that's good. It often happens like that, doesn't it?
1: It does, yeah. Yeah, it does.
0: Yeah. And you can tell who the good as well from a ski school director's point of view. You can tell who the uh, the the good instructors are that of doing that sort of uh, be as cynical as to say an upsell, but you know see who's popular that that the clients want to spend more time with them. Um, it's really easy to notice that when uh, when you look through the kind of the repeat bookings. Um,
1: oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. And and so you you also have so. You also run a GAP programme, is that right? Yeah,
1: so um, historically I've run a GAP programme over, over the summer months on the Glacier.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it started off being a full GAP programme, level one, level two. Yeah. Um, and in fact the timing is quite difficult with the end of the A level and GCSE results um, and the timing of, uh, of the end of the summer. So more recently we've only run the level two with uh, three weeks of training before all right. Um, and then try to help people to book on a level one in a you know a snow dome or on a dry slope prior to that. Oh wow! Either in a half term week or in the holidays, or there are some that do them do them over weekends. Yeah. Um, I'm not a hundred percent set on either model to be honest. So uh, depending on where the dates fall and everything for for exams, I make my decision every year. Yeah. Um. And so historically, I've always done that. And then last year, we started working with Basecamp. Yeah. Um, so we had three groups a snowboard group and two ski groups here in Le Des Alpes. Oh, cool. Um, Basecamp has since been taken over by Nonstop Snow. Um, so we're running three groups again. We've got three full groups um, starting uh, in January. Okay um this winter so and we're obviously hoping with non-stop snow that that's going to we're going to work together a little bit more in the summers as well and trying to, to to build um build that program mm,
0: that's, that's that's awesome three weeks prep doesn't sound like a great deal of time but before a level two i'm thinking for some um, people
1: not all but some no so the other thing that i use um which i find works really really well is on my website i've got a custom built virtual training app right so that if people are in the UK they can work on their short turns for example get somebody to film six short turns and as you would do in the evening Joe video feedback is a, yeah. a really good way of, um, uh, of of giving feedback and improving somebody's skiing yeah. so they can go to Milton Keynes or Tamworth or wherever it might be. Um, and then I'll give them some exercises. The, the, the video comes up on one side of the page and then we're in a chat box on the other side of the page okay. so we can pause the video and look at, look at different things just as you would do uh, probably normally in a bar after skiing but maybe not this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, and so I can coach people through in that, in that way as well if they, um, it, if they feel that they need it. Mm. Um, and the other thing is, I mean, people tend to already show, I mean, I've already got a, an interest uh, for quite a few people for next summer
0: mm. so
1: they would probably come for a week during the winter as well for me to ski with them okay. um, whether you know it's a, a couple of hours every two or three days or you know uh, their, with their family or whether they come just themselves for the week and try and slot in with with, with, with what I've got available. Mm. But that at least gives them a good training week and then they go away. And, you know, even if they've not done their level one, it doesn't actually matter if you're well above a level one level when you take the level one if your object is to, to pass the level two. Mm.
0: Mm. Yeah. No, I was just thinking about this because we, we ran a we ran a level one over the winter here for some of the students that that work at uh, that that are at one of the international schools, and um, I was doing the, the the training part of it, um, and uh, and Peter Kew was doing the examining part of it, and um, I was it was interesting to see actually how that you know obviously I've been through it as a as an instructor you know train, training instructor but it was interesting to see it from a sort of breaking down a movement pattern point of view and then building up good movement patterns after that and how hard some of those those old built-in movement patterns are to shift sometimes
1: yeah, well, it's the old saying, isn't it? Breaking a habit is much harder than learning a new skill.
0: Yeah. How do you go about doing that if you've got something that's really sort of stand out that you can't polish into I,
1: something? For my clients or for myself, for my clients.
0: No, I know. I'm sure you ski pretty really well. You don't need that much uh, that much <laughs> polishing. But let's say we've got a client who you know is doing something really funky, like how and and it's tough to break. Like, do you have any? Try to start yeah. from
1: the base again, so that they're learning a new skill. Yeah tries to change the mindset that we're not adapting what we've got but we're, we're learning something new
0: and how do you go about doing that do you slow them right down and take it all back to basics or? so it
1: depends a little bit where we're where we're at in the system as it were do you know whether we're talking about um struggling with a snowplow or whether we're struggling in short terms but quite often as, as you all know as well is um, that we can bring things back down to the central theme and correct that skill there or learn that new skill there within the slow central theme easy mm. and then it, it, it then comes back again in our in our performance skiing uh, you know the new skill shows in our performance skiing
0: yeah okay because that that that's often my default if I want to break something out of a client skiing I will go literally right back to the beginner slope and then start, I won't say start again, but, but, you know, do everything super slow and super. And, and also that, that environment is a really, really cool place to be able to see all of these things happening, you know? Yeah.
1: I think, um, I think also actually that um, quite a lot of the time, somebody uh, or clients perhaps don't understand the difference from where they're at or what they're doing and what they should be doing. Mm hmm. So, if you can show them, if you can run a sort of, I don't I suppose, like a guided discovery session mm-hmm. on, you know, to get them to realise, you know, what what movements they are doing and what they should be doing, the difference between the two, you know, or even using video or whatever it might be, then uh, then it's much easier to move from A to B than it is to move from A to I'm not quite sure. Mm. Um, so, I find that that works as well.
0: Okay. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, the um,
0: like I say, I I just find that curious. You know, if, if there's a if there's a special way that, that or, or tricks and stuff that you have to do it because like I say sometimes, you can imagine that a lot of clients have probably been doing some of these movements for you know best part of ten years or something, and and they're quite hard to break down sometimes. You
1: yeah, know, they I are. But I, th- but I think like you. Going back to doing things, you know, individual skills, much slower, using perhaps something other than your short turn or your steep slope or whatever mm. you, you're choosing to use allows you to relearn a skill and then you can bring it back into what you were doing before. Yeah. Um, I think that that's definitely important. But I do think that this understanding is um, is quite important, that if we can start to feel and understand what we are doing and also see at least and understand then we'll be able to start to feel that new skill on the slow stuff and then we can put it back in again so that we can see where we need to go. So at the end of the session, basically, the idea would be that even if we haven't nailed it and done that run of exactly the right turns that we want to do, Mm. that the client's going away and able to practice in a manner that they're practicing the correct thing, not just relearning what they were doing before. So, like a level of uh, the, the, the level of understanding of what where they want to go is important.
0: Mm. With um, with the gap students, obviously you you're going to have a fair amount of um, the I guess the large majority are are indeed gap students, and probably you've got a very small majority who are like career changers or, or whatever.
1: Yeah. So last year we had a couple of maybe career breakers. Mm-hmm. Um. A lot of younger, not necessarily like 18, but younger anyway, you know, deciding that maybe that's what they did want to go into or that they wanted to do a couple of years of of teaching or whatever. In fact, um, really nicely, I got um, a message this morning from one of the girls that's, um, she's American actually, Mm. and she started teaching and she's just saying how happy she was and thanks so much for all the coaching and she was really enjoying putting it into actual real practice in a uniform. So that was quite nice to receive this morning. Yeah,
0: yeah. Huh? Oh, cool. And how many, what's it like? So I'm, I'm specifically thinking with the younger generation, not so much the, 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 the career changes and stuff. But do you often, I know that this is a problem that they often have in places like Verbier or whatever. They've got some guys there who are obviously on the gaps, but they're not really, they don't really give a, give a damn whether they, they, they pass the exams or not. They're essentially there for the party well do you, is that your do you do you have how do you how do you kind of deal with that element in a in a in a gap group
1: if i'm honest um we haven't had too much problem with that to be honest i think the people that come in the summer mm. um on the summer courses are probably a little bit more i don't want to say motivated is the wrong word but You've got to want to go skiing in the, in the summer on a glacier, haven't you? Yeah. So yeah, sure. you know they've got a real objective to pass that exam, and that's why they're there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and last winter's so the first winter, I've um, I've run the full gap program with three courses, so quite a lot of young um, young guys on it. Mm. Um, but really, um, although obviously our aim and our goal is to get them all through, and that's what we want are setting out the fact that you know improving and with that improvement being able to enjoy more of the mountain be able to explore further into the mountains and stuff keeps everybody really motivated and and, you know at at improving uh, and obviously making sure that they're enjoying themselves and they are managing to see more of the mountains and um you know and get more from their skiing uh, works really well for us
0: okay okay now maybe it's just a, a verbier thing then
1: well i don't know i hear lots of reports from uh from various different places but last year we didn't have any problems so i'll touch wood and hope that that's the case this year <laughs> i'll keep my same tactic and for the time being i'll say that my tactic is working well <laughs> and if we need to change it during the winter we'll change it yeah. although this year actually we you know the apres ski is going to probably be less um less well, of a focus yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's so yeah, i don't know like so we've already been thinking of masses of. masses uh, apres ski stuff that we can do that's a bit different so like snowshoeing Mm. um you know stopping for a a van show somewhere outside um more of the sort of outside sporty kind of uh things rather than the um uh the not that we've got actually a folly juice but the more less of the the pano bar is our folly juice
0: you don't have a folly douche yet i thought these guys were, were aiming on uh taking over the alps
1: well, we've got our own. We've got the Panobar, so I don't think Folli will come because uh, the Panobar Pano Pano bar is uh, is pretty good. But right. um, I, I suspect this will be fairly calm this year.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say their whole business model is is built on on our price. ski. They must be uh, they must be in, in uh, panicking pretty hard right now. I'd say. Um,
1: well, yeah. Well, as the French would say, I would think it will be a, an Annee Blanche for the uh, yes. for uh, for Apresky.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, when you is it? Are you? I, I don't know whether you're on the Basie training body or not, but it's not you examining those those summer gaps either, is it?
1: No, it's not. I, I, I'm not actually a trainer, um, no. so. Uh, Equally, I wouldn't be able to train them and then examine them because that would be uh, yeah, unfair. Be so yeah. um, my pathway that I've chosen to go down at the moment is to do more the training side and allow the examiners to come in.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. Now tell me, uh, when we, we first looked at this, um, this interview, and it was a long time ago, and I'm sorry it's taken a long time to get to... to,
1: no, to no, but it was in the summer, to, wasn't it? to we was, again.
0: I've been fascinated. I was fascinated when I was poking around your website at this concept of remote skiing tips. And I remember saying to you, like, is this is this something that 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 is big? Like, how does it work? And and you know, do you do much of it? Like, it. it, it I've never seen anyone offer remote skiing tips before. So, where do where where's that idea come from? And and how did you how did you end up rolling it out?
1: Um, I think that the idea came from people sending me videos quite often and asking for feedback on them, you know, when they were training for things or what Mm -hmm. have you, and, you know, regular clients that I've got that come every year. Um, so because I was receiving these videos via WhatsApp or, you know, what have you, I was thinking, well, do you know what, there's something that we should be doing here. And if people are actually quite keen to do it, you know, why not tell other people and then more people can benefit from it. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's really where the idea came from. Um, I'm a big believer in video feedback. I think it it works really, really well. Um, And so, yeah, so I went and got some quotes, really, to to get this um, virtual training bit on my website. And it looked all feasible to do it. So um, so we went ahead and and did it. I think um, probably your uh, average first-time skier isn't, doesn't use it no. um but those people that are uh, are looking to go through the instructor program use it quite a lot mm-hmm. um and very keen skiers that you know maybe can't get out to the alps yeah but, but can um you know go to a snow dome or a dry slope? they might use it as well mm-hmm. oh, and i'm ha- hoping that if they can't get to france and don't join you in switzerland that they might <laughs> use it a bit more <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, at the moment, it's a, uh, yeah. I'm not sure how many are going to end up in Switzerland because we've still got some, still some moving around issues going on in France. But uh, I'm certainly getting my fair share of um, fair share of resumes at the moment from uh, Italian and French instructors. That's really interesting. I've had more of yeah I've
1: although they'll all want to come back here when it opens won't they
0: Well yeah and and I've got some quite strict criteria that I, that I don't deviate from with regards to, to instructors in my ski school so I'm not going I'm not going to compromise on that just because um you know just because other yeah I, I don't know I mean, I'm probably getting four or five CVs a week at the moment which is which is really? a lot Yeah yeah but you know it's people just kind of trying to make a, a living right you can understand what what, what they're what they're doing um,
1: Completely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it's a tricky tricky time right now. Um, let's let's go on to talk about that um, if you want. Uh, um, so you're based in Les Alpes, which yep. is it's almost Italian, isn't it? Like you're right. You're not far away from the the, the border. Uh, so
1: we're right about now, an right? hour, an hour and a half. So you've got to go over the Col de Lottere, through Serschvalier, up over the Col de Montgenev. And then you drop down to clavier.
0: Okay, and so and and, and I'm told, and like I say I don't really know this for gospel, but I, like the does does that has quite a sort of an Italian feel. It's not, it is a bit bit more kind of between the two there. It's not right French French.
1: Um, a bit, a bit so funny. in the summer, it's. Um, it has a lot of Italian tourists, definitely. Yeah. Um, in the winter, maybe less so, because obviously the Italian resorts um, are normally open, yeah. or we're not open, and they're not open either, so yeah, 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 <laughs> they're not going to sure. come here. Um, so in the, in the summer, certainly, a lot of Italian um, ski clubs and tourists come. Yeah. In the winter, I would say less so. They come at key periods. There's key sort of Italian holidays, French holidays and British yeah. holidays and Belgian holidays and what have you. Yeah. Um, there are probably quite a few italians in, in in resort so i was saying one of the ski schools that i used to work for has quite a few italian instructors um but then i think these days if you go to Maribel and Courcheval, or you go to val d'Isere, there's quite a few italian instructors as well
0: there is there seems, there seems to be like a factory that pumps them out isn't there there's um it's really odd there's loads of them in um in Chatel in france as well i've noticed uh,
1: right okay Well, I think it's maybe just in France. And uh, are there a lot of Italian instructors in Switzerland?
0: Mm, That's a good question. Not that I've met. Um, maybe there is a few in Zermatt, I think. Uh, in fact, I met one two weeks ago. Um, there's a bunch of them in Zermatt, for sure, but obviously that's the proximity to Chivina, I guess, is, is coming into play there.
1: Yeah, it's fairly linked, isn't it? Yeah, yeah.
0: but the I suppose what I would say is... is that I, I also heard, though, that there's an agency. So there is, there's, there's a ski instructor agency. Now, I don't know whether this is... I don't know anything about it, but there is a ski instructor agency who seems to offer to be like a go-between between ski instructors uh, ski schools in France that need instructors and you know this sort of production line of Italian um,
1: okay you know, I haven't heard ski of them.
0: instructors and I guess they can I, I I'm just guessing here but I'm guessing they can probably earn more money in France than they could in um in italy
1: in italy yeah i think so and i think um quite a lot of the smaller italian resorts are very based around weekend work rather than the week-long season and season work so i think quite a few of um if i understand correctly the smaller italian resorts the ski instructors have other jobs during the week
0: yeah okay and they teach at the weekends yeah I'm recording this on uh, the 3rd of December and as it stands here in Europe um, or Europe, I'm in Switzerland, it's obviously not part of Europe, it's a little bit part of Europe, but not, not very much. Um, and Switzerland's coming under a lot of pressure right now from the European Union, who've gone down this route of uh, trying to get all of the ski uh, ski areas open at the same time, so that uh, not you know no one country benefits or well, I guess has all the ski visitors at the same time. And, and as it stands right now, Switzerland are re- resisting that that pressure from the EU, and I think it's pretty uh, in my opinion. Um, I don't think much of the EU as an organization anyway but, uh, but, but to be putting that kind of pressure on another country's kind of state decisions I think is pretty, pretty poor form. So um, you know we'll see how long this, this situation lasts and, and we've also got a very bizarre situation actually here in the Port de Soleil which is a Franco-Swiss area. Um, or domain you know so you can ski on the uh, on the French side but also you can cross over into the Swiss side and, and as it stands right now up until well what we've heard is mid-January but they, they haven't made the decision of that on the French side right now is that the the, the lifts and the infrastructure on, on the uh, on the French side will be closed and the Swiss side will be open now that then presents a whole nother problem which is being discussed heavily at the moment uh, in the media over here which is what's going to happen to all of those French skiers from the Haute-Savoie who, who normally would go skiing up in the stations of Chatel and and uh, and and a few others where will they go? You know, will they come up and try and cross the border and ski in Switzerland? You know that's gonna put an incredible number of people into the um, into the ski stations on the Swiss side which will be you know More-Jean, Le Crozé, um, Champoussin, etc. And this presents a very Weird logistical problem that, uh, which I'm not quite sure how they're going to get round to. You know, there's some sort of talk of shutting borders and, and not allowing, not allowing, you know, French people across to ski, which then you know opens up a whole bunch of other ethical questions, which is, you know, surrounding, you know, how can the state be in such a position where it's saying what people can and cannot do you know i'm uh, my wife is originally romanian and when you speak to all of the the romanians you know that that we know um they really really don't like you know what's going on at the moment in terms of the response to covid because it feels very very heavy handed you know a statist kind of response that looks a little bit like what they all served under you know in under communism in the 80s and you know I decide that you cannot go skiing therefore you cannot you know it's um, it's not a very um, pleasant system to be living under Covid or no Covid so um, that's just to give you a little bit of background about what we're about to talk about next so in part two with Alex we talk about um, does Alpes and, and what the skiing is going to look like in France this winter um, You know, uh, we we, we talk also about mask use which uh, is something I know a lot about I've been skiing for the last month every weekend uh, and and as much as I can during the week um, both with clients and and just personally and and, um, yeah mask use while skiing so so we touch a little bit about how that is working here in Switzerland we then go on to talk well underlying all of this COVID stuff of course we've got Brexit Uh, so we talk a little bit about Basie's recent announcement in relation to Brexit and Brexit implications on skiing as well this winter this sort of perfect storm of things that are that are going to come up so um, enjoy the second half Uh, like I said the the next interview up uh, which I'll be editing more towards Christmas will be Blair Aitken about British backcountry which is going to be really fantastic Um, but for now enjoy the second half of this and uh, I wish you uh, open lifts and good skiing uh, good snow and, and I'll see you on the next one I suppose what I wanted to talk about was Le des Alpes as a, as a place this coming winter. Now, let's let's set the record straight. I mean, I'm not sure when this will go out, but um, we'll try and get it out as soon as possible. But as we stand right now, no one knows when the French ski, and stru- uh, ski resorts are going to open.
1: Correct. So um, the president said that he couldn't foresee... He hadn't made a decision, but he couldn't foresee um, ski lifts running because actually the resorts were open. Yeah. Ski lifts running uh, for the Christmas and New Year holidays. That was followed up with um, the next day the Premier Minister going through all the rules and regulations in a little bit more depth Mm. um, saying that ski resorts wouldn't open but didn't give a date that they would. Yeah. Bars and restaurants have been given the next possible date as the 20th of January, so um, uh, people have taken that as being for ski resorts as well, but it certainly hasn't been offered as for ski, ski resorts, and it could be before that. I Mm. believe that the Italians, um, because there's quite a movement in Europe, isn't there, that Austria and Switzerland are not moving with Mm. um, to close ski resorts. The Italians have asked for uh, at least till the 10th of January, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then we know that there is going to be a governmental meeting on the 11th of December Mm. to discuss the opening of ski resorts, so I'm guessing that we would have more information, hopefully, on the 11th or or 12th of December. Um, There's quite a lot of movements in France to try to get the government to um, reassess their decisions. Yes. Um, So there was a... um, uh, um, a rally, I suppose, in Out today, where the mayor spoke and mm. um, and what have you. There is another one in my village, Bourdrezon, um, as the gates of the Wazon Valley, basically. Mm. Um, mm. So that will include all the resorts in the valley on Wednesday. And there's, there's one coming up in Grenoble and one in Chambry, I think, which will include the whole of the yeah. Um Lots of resorts are writing to the government, to, to ministers and things, Minister of Sport particularly, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, but what they have said is that the, the ski resorts as such can open. So uh, hotels and what have you can open. Yeah, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah. But the ski lifts won't open. Um, access to the mountain will be um, open, apparently, so people can ski tour, they can snowshoe, parapont, um, yeah. and do the other activities in town. And obviously, in fact, you know the, the, the community atmosphere, I suppose, is um, it is really really good, and it does out with people trying to come up with ideas of other things that we could offer clients, and you know that the restaurateurs getting together. Um, to try to make sure that we can offer deliveries of, uh, of food and things like that, but yeah. um, but there is obviously the um, curfew of nine o'clock. Um, so we're actually in lockdown at the moment still, but from the fifteenth of December we will uh, be out of lockdown but have a curfew. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that curfew is being lifted for Christmas and for New Year, obviously. But yeah, they're not opening up r- bars and restaurants. No.
0: The, uh, I should explain, listener, that we are what's the date today? thirtieth of November. So right. this, this is being yeah. recorded thirtieth of November. So uh, this information is accurate as of as of um, today. But the yeah, so and and that's the thing I really want to clarify because there's a lot of people in the press who've been banding about this date of the twentieth of January. But actually, um, you know, no one's decided that yet. You know that that is just a. I don't a,
1: think so, you know. but I. I, I I'm fairly sure that they haven't. I mean, it was mentioned for bars and restaurants, for sure. Mm. Um, but equally, I think in these times, that that's a long way ahead, isn't it? So, oh, yeah. you know, if the virus comes down uh, in numbers dramatically between now and then, then I would expect the government to to change their mind. Equally, sadly, if the virus goes up massively in numbers, then I would expect them to change their mind as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's it's um, It's very interesting to see what's going on in Europe with this, especially this thing where where all the European nations don't want anyone else to be open so that no one gets disadvantaged, which is a very, very strange concept to me. Um, Especially when, you know, I don't think, I've got to be honest, like I'm I'm sitting here in Switzerland and I'm not seeing really, how, how can I explain this? Skiing is working here perfectly well and the people who are doing skiing here and the appetite by the way Alex is massive because well I the, can imagine I mean we've skied all over the
1: summer and we skied yeah. at, uh, all over the Tucson holidays so yeah. I know that skiing can work here as well
0: yeah and and you know like you know, the French were doing it probably before the Swiss were doing it you know everyone wears a mask yeah. on the lift everyone was being really and is being really really good at it um you know in, in terms of their their personal self-discipline um, in terms of masks, and all well, it's that a very
1: small stuff. ask, isn't it, to be allowed to ski to wear th- a mask?
0: I think now this is what's dawned on the Swiss population: is that if we all kind of work together, we can just keep going with this thing. Um, and also, like so,
1: the here in Ledesalp, and I think in a lot of other other resorts, uh, the resort of fabricate uh, making um, a buff that fits the uh, the required standards, yes, and is sits over the nose rather than being an ordinary style buff, yes, um, so that people can buy um, with their lift passes or from me or from uh, a sports Mm. shop or whatever one of these these buffs so that they Mm. they can very easily pull it up over their their nose and mouth before they get anywhere near a lift queue and obviously keep it there whilst they're on the lifts Um, and that they're not being required to keep it on um, you know whilst they're skiing down the slope but in all honesty having skied all summer and all tucson with you know a mask um I had masks of tip-top ski coaching made the three layers and and what have you in fact do you know what it's cold now it's quite nice it's quite comfortable having a mask (laughs) it's quite nice and warm here's the
0: here's the flip side to this uh the the flip side to this listener so I have been skiing every weekend since since uh well for the last month or so and I I, I'm honestly getting I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do but I'm getting a little bit tired and and uh of breathing my own CO2, which is um, exhaled CO2. And it's um, it's tough actually, you know, working at altitude, for example, at 3000 meters, having to, to, to wear a mask so having that sort of access to fresh air kind of restricted a little bit is is, is difficult. Um, I'm finding. Yeah, myself... it's funny how it
1: affects different people, isn't it? Yeah. It, it does seem to affect different people. I don't, I'm quite happy to be nice and warm in my mask.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. I find that I need to. I don't know. I'm not asthmatic or anything like that, but I'm, I find like I'm. I'm really missing that kind of extra sort of fresh air. But like you say, you've got to do what you've got to do to. Well, we've got to do what we've got to do to kind of but equally. Once keep, keep you're on the piece right? and
1: you're away from people, you can pull it down if you want to. Can't yeah, you?
0: that's right. That's right. In I fact,
1: answer. in fact, I've got some hilarious photos of me sort of growing a, you know, a beard out of my chin, my my <laughs> pink mask that I've uh, that I've got, <laughs> forgetting that you've pulled it down or whatever to take your take your selfie for Instagram. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and and so anyway, the, the 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 picture for the rest of the Euro- Europe or picture of rest of europe so austria seemed to be in the same boat italy france uh seemed to be in the same boat also but switzerland seems to be going its own way and internally here it's been quite interesting so the um the the president of the sort of the the honorary president of the lift operators association here in switzerland is didier de fargo um downhill winner at the olympics and uh from literally the next village over over to me. He was in the press recently with um, Monsieur D'Arbelet, who's the president of Valet, and he was basically saying, well, they put out sort of joint statement and say, if, if, if Switzerland are gonna try and shut the lifts this winter for skiing, you've then also got to shut down Geneva Central train station, Zurich Central train station, Basel Central, train station you know like those places are much much more and all the all all the network rail infrastructure at peak times because those places are much much more crowded than ski lifts are
1: yeah i think that's the um you know there's a huge sort of
0: for the argument of those people
1: that are manifesting at the moment is that you know the the eur de pointe which is a rush hour in paris is much more dangerous than um than your four-person chairlift
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is. And like you say uh, the skiers are all being tremendously good, but the other thing that also they came out and said today and and this is kind of where the 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 ski regions I think are fighting back is that they've said, you know, there was a there was more talk there's some talking burn about, you know, trying to stop skiing or something like that. And and the guy from Ballet again said I don't think that the Federal Council, which is the the, the, the guys that are enforcing the law here in Switzerland, the who kind of run stuff, I don't think that they've got the six hundred and fifty million francs in their budget that they need to pay the valet for all the lost business if you shut down you shut down skiing again, and he's and he's hundred percent right in that in that respect. You know the cost of the economy for our region around here is huge. Oh, but
1: the cost of the economy for, for here will mm. will be, be enormous, right? You know, so, I mean, there's already been... I, I'm not sure of the exact figures, but I suspect it's something along the lines of 20 25% um, lost at the end of last season. Yeah. Um, and the current figures I read the other day is that uh, it's about 30%, I think, if we don't open before mid to end of January. Yeah. Um, but also, the other, the other thing to remember is that it's not... Um, it's not earnings that you can maybe get back again later. No. Do you know? So we could extend the ski season maybe by a week or two weeks if, you know, if we have the snow or what have you, but you mm. can't, you know, say, well, we haven't opened for six weeks, so we'll extend it now for six weeks.
0: Yeah. 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 It doesn't work like that, does it?
1: No. And there are only a certain number of beds in resort and resort and what have you. So it's not about suddenly making it bigger.
0: Mm.
1: You can't just suddenly make it bigger. Um, so, so it's lost income. You know, it's very difficult to, to regain that income with the with the best will in the world.
0: Yeah, 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 no, very, very much so, very much so. That's, I mean, we've um, uh, I've experienced that a, a little bit with some of the the residential camps that we run for some of the schools that we look after, and, and you know they were all set up ready to go, COVID compliant, exclusive use for in hotels, all that sort of stuff. And some, yeah. some bureaucrat in Canton has said, no, 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 no residential trips till June, and so all of that. All of that just disappears, you know. And there were some quite big invoices in there, and
1: I can imagine. it's
0: gone, right? It's just gone. It doesn't come back. There's there's no way of recouping that that money. Um, it's just gone for this winter. Now, you know, there'll be people, there'll be people in the media and stuff, who say, oh, well, you know, ski businesses have got to adapt and all of that sort of thing. But, but that's not, that's not how it works. When you've worked ten or fifteen or twenty years of your life to become highly specialized in your, your area of expertise. You know, you can't, you can't just turn to something else and do something else. And well, that's, also that's the uh, these, in a that?
1: in a tourist a tourist valley where the, the tourist attraction is uh, is skiing, mm. there actually isn't another job for. Of course, one or two people were able to you know turn their hand to I don't know renovating some chalets ready for next year or whatever I'm it might sure, be. Yeah. But yeah. there's not there isn't enough jobs for everybody in the valley to turn their hand to something else. Mm.
0: Mm. No, hundred percent. And, um, and I suppose probably, well, I don't know. I mean, we're going to see how this plays out, but I'm, I, I, my personal feeling actually is that the French sort of the ESF, which is essentially the trade union body for, you know, French skiing is, is quite a powerful one in Paris and it wouldn't surprise me if they've got some people that can pull some pretty, uh, pretty good strings there to get maybe you guys working on uh, and going a bit sooner than 20th of January.
1: Let's cross our fingers. (laughs) Yeah, I hope
0: so. I hope so for all of you guys' sake, because it's just, you know,
1: it's not. It would be very nice. I I think the other thing is it would be very nice to know. I mean, I know it's very difficult. It's a difficult ask at the moment because it does depend on the virus numbers and things like that, but it would be nice to know when we're opening so that, you know, people can start booking and because the other thing is that, you know, Local skiers will come obviously if it opens on a Saturday and they say on Friday night, but um, for people to you know book their one week off and organize their travel and accommodation and everything, it doesn't happen overnight.
0: No, it doesn't, and and I think that's that's well, might as well pivot into the next subject, then, might we? We might, you know, adding on uh, an extra layer onto all of this is, is Brexit and <laughs> yeah. uh, the fun and games that that's bringing and and you know, so as if it wasn't bad enough, if you're a a typical British family, you might be coming on holiday to Desalp or Switzerland or whatever for, um, you know, for, for your annual ski holiday, you don't know whether you've got a quarantine for five or 14 or whatever it is, however many days when you come back or when you go, you don't know whether your insurance might be valid because, you know, you're traveling to, I don't know, you're traveling in a Brexit time or whatever. Like it, it, it's, just monumental the difficulty for trying to get tourists to come to a tourist, you know, for for a winter holiday right now.
1: Yeah, it's um, well. I think it's um, uh, it's less Brexit at the moment and more COVID really. Mm. Um, you know, Brexit. I think. Okay, so we actually we don't know <laughs> we don't know that either well, really. Too, no. We don't know like if we're going for a no deal or a deal, it, but yeah. um, <laughs> but people will still be able to travel. So, where um, if you want to go on holiday to Canada, you can still go on holiday to Canada. So you will still be able to travel to France. It's going to be a little bit more hassle, probably. Mm. Um, and yeah, you're going to need to make sure that you've got insurance because you won't have your eHIC card or what have you. Yeah. Um. And we won't know, you know, what agreements are made on that front until until they're made, I suppose. Mm. Um. But it will still be possible to come, and I think that the the skiers, skiing population of of the UK have have confidence in that. You know, I think that they were booking. I think it's COVID that's caused more problems this season than um, than Brexit. Mm. Yeah. Um. Although perhaps in the background, Brexit's caused f- would have caused more problem had it have only been the only thing that was there. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It's um no, it's all. Oh, oh. Yeah, it's it's a very difficult situation right now. I'm not sure what. Yeah, you know, how how do you stand with regards to? Well, no, because you're in a slight. I was about to ask you about work permits and carte de séjour and stuff like that, but you're well down that road, aren't you? In, in person, Yeah, well, it?
1: I mean, I live in France. You know, I'm a French resident. Yeah. So, um, so as far as having the right to work here, um, I'm assuming that I continue as normal. Mm. Um, you know, I've got my social security here in France. My retirement here in france yes. everything here in france so um and as i as we were chatting before this um i'm applying for my french nationality as well so yeah. i think for me as far as having the right to work i'll be fine um from my understanding of what's coming out of basie at the moment i'll also be okay because i've already signed my uh ctt and already have a french equivalent
0: so t- can't tell can't me play. about that because I'm interested in this and I don't very well understand it because I'm, you know, as you know, Swiss centric. But the the what's happened with Baysy is that they sent out an email to all of their members recently saying we don't. The gist of it was anyone below level four who isn't already qualified through this, um, we can't guarantee that your qualifications will be recognised post Well
1: thing. I think that was the gist of it if you've got a, um, a slightly pessimistic um, well, t- t- me to, of, Yeah, of yeah
0: because I, I skim read it because it's not kind of relevant. Yeah
1: me. I mean it, I read it um, yeah. and yes I mean it, it could imply that um, in that this CTT which is like this central agreement um, is no longer going to be um, recognised. However Just because it's been taken out of European law, all of the skiing nations have sat together around a table and agreed that the European Mountain Security, for example, so our off-piste section of the Level 4, is something that every nation should do. Mm -hmm. Um, Having some kind of timed race, so the Eurotest, is something that every nation should do. So, it seems unlikely that the skiing nations will sit round a table and say, well, we're going to stick with all of those agreements, but because you're not in Europe, you can't stick with those agreements anymore.
0: Yeah, with you. Um,
1: So, I I would hope, and um, I am always a a glass half full kind of girl rather than a glass half empty kind of girl, (laughs) that common sense will prevail eventually. Um, And I'm not even sure that that would be uh, immediately, you know, there might well be some problems immediately, I would imagine. But hopefully in the long run, uh, the same as if you're a doctor and you've been through your qualifications and they're at the same level of somebody in Italy or France or wherever it might be, that you would be able to go and work as a doctor in another country with a working visa that you would be able to apply with your qualifications that you've done through Bayesian that do actually meet because we know that they meet the same level as uh, as, as those other nations in the agreement mm. and that it will be okay
0: okay I, I'm That's, curi- uh, yeah. I
1: I think there's a there's a wave to ride in the middle though I think
0: <laughs> well I, yeah like I say I'm, I'm more on the class the half empty kind of point of view I'm I find it uh life disappoints me less if I'm uh, I'm that kind of view, viewpoint but the <laughs> the, <laughs> the 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 what well, I suppose what I'm what I'm curious about is why this seems to be, why this whole thing seems to have been such a surprise for Beazley, as a you know I would have thought they would have spent the last three years kind of un- in negotiating some sort of underlying agreements just in the event that all of a sudden, you know, uh, all previous agreements were kind of torn up uh with the the european yeah
1: possibly although also like on the other side of things it seems quite amazing to me that um uh that the british government have chosen to screw up this act yes as if it's a piece of paper as in because it it affects so little people really in the grand scheme of the whole population Mm. so why are we interested in this one
0: yes yeah that's true the 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 the, the The reason I found I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this because you're kind of a bit more on the inside, having obviously, you know, been you've got you know you're the busy four with the, the the kart pro and whatnot. But I've I've just heard from a friend of mine who trans who, who drives one of those transfer buses between the airport and the ski resort, and he's British, and he's got this this qualification, that. Um, allows him to drive this bus backwards and forwards is the British version of that qualification so previously that has been fine for the French but he's just received a letter that says to says to him no that is no longer recognized and you have six months to get yourself a French one otherwise you can't drive people backwards and forwards to the airport anymore and I was surprised to hear that but not well little bit surprised but not mega surprised but i wondered if that is somehow linked to you know it's me with a tinfoil hat on but i wonder if that is somehow linked to to, or, or might be what's going to end up happening to 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 instructors with like a british qualification ongoing do you know what i mean do you see where i'm going with that
1: yeah possibly i mean i don't know the difference uh between the French driving license for that particular thing, do you know what size bus he's driving and yeah, what have that's, you? That's so uh, it's difficult for me to comment on that. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. But
1: I think my um, my logical thinking, and I completely agree with you that politics isn't always logical. So mm. it might I might be wrong here. <laughs> yeah. But even if you had to go and do an equivalent uh, exam, so like in Switzerland, for example, if you want to run your own ski school, I believe you have to go and do the the Swiss uh, patron, don't you?
0: Yeah, there's there's different ways, but yes, it's one of the routes, yeah.
1: Okay, so if you've gone through and you've done your BASE Level 4, and we already know that on the table, France, Italy, Austria, Switzerland, uh, BASE, have agreed that the level of qualifications is the same. Yeah. uh, so even if Switzerland come back and say you have to go and do your pattern or France come and say, well, we'd really like you to do the, the last level of, of that qualification, then although it's going to be a real hassle for people maybe and a financial implication, on a level of passing or not passing, they'll be skiing at the top of their game because they're just coming through their their Bayesian qualifications now. Yeah. So they will just go and do it and they'll pass it and they'll they'll get their license. Mm. That's what I'm telling my guys that are coming through the system at the moment, that it's a horrible time, it's uncertain for them. Hopefully that logic will prevail and they won't, but... If they did have to go and do another exam to show that they were at that level, mm. then they should be skiing at that level anyway because all of the countries have already agreed what the level is.
0: Yeah, okay. And, so and Brexit that,
1: doesn't change that.
0: No, I suppose not. And, and so that you'd hope that that underlying agreement or that old agreement would be respected or those. Well, I would hope levels. so, but
1: I would also hope that that underlying or old agreement was an agreement of levels required to become a top level ski instructor. Yeah. So whether you're a top level ski instructor, in the french system and baysy asks you to go and do the level four in order to get the Bayesie license yeah. or vice versa then you should be skiing at the top of your game so if you're passing one you should pass the other
0: yeah yeah okay
1: um but that that would be my um glass half full <laughs> of <Won't> look <laughs> looking at it <laughs>
0: is the uh, once is your understanding is that once you're you've already let's say you've already got the cart pro so your situation will be similar to mine. my
1: understanding is that i've already got my cart pro and that um, can never be taken away once you've got it yeah and i've already got my rights to work in france live and work in france so i should be okay um I guess everybody can change rules whenever they want, can't they, these days? So, you know, uh, there's only a certain amount of, of security in that. No, um, I suppose, and there's but... certainly no security in what I'm telling people who are coming through the system because I've got no idea whatsoever. And uh, James Lister or, you know, somebody within Bayesie would have a much clearer idea of what's going on. Um, yeah. Uh, but equally, I suspect that they're working quite hard to try and organise that for us so that. Our worst-case scenario isn't um, isn't actually what happens. Yeah. Um, so I think we're probably best to let them do their job and work for it, um, support them where we can, um, and wait and see what happens, really. I don't see what else we can do at the moment. Yeah. But my advice to the guys that I'm training coming through the system at whatever level they are is that I think that there will be a wave to ride. And I think you know, you're not necessarily going to apply on the 1st of January for your cart pro if you passed your level four on the 1st of january Mm. Uh, there's going to be some organization to do and what have you but i would hope that because you are skiing at the top of your game which is at the top of that game which has already been decided between the countries what level it is even if you had to go and do the last exam in another country's system that that shouldn't be anything more than a Logistical and financial problem for you, rather than a you know a skiing problem for you.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's fair to say. That's fair to say. Now, look, I I, I realize that time's been running on, and you you guys that you said to me that you guys normally eat around eight, so we are uh, <laughs> really <true>. late, <laughs> and you've got a hun- hungry husband next door, uh, which um, which I was you know I, I don't I don't want to compromise that. The um, tell me. One last thing. I just wanted to. I wanted to go back just to just to one last question, if it's all right with you. Um, would be about the training and stuff that you started to do with the Eurotest and 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 your journey through that as you did more and more race training. Yeah, race train racing and race training is a reasonably controversial topic within ski instructing, especially things like the Eurotest. A lot of people will will argue it both both sides, but what what would you say that you learned the most out of the time that you spent racing and what, what, where does the value come in for a ski instructor to learn that racing?
1: This is like the million dollar question, isn't it? Well, for, yeah, but just for, for you. Everyone.
0: So what did you get out of it? You know, where so I was?
1: actually think that it, um, I've thought about this quite a lot. I, I think I've been asked it quite a lot. Actually, I think I asked it quite a lot by clients. Mm. Um, So I agree that going fast and round gates doesn't necessarily make you a good teacher.
0: Yeah.
1: However, I think what it gave me was a necessity to understand in more depth um, how a ski works and how I can make it work, Mm -hmm. which gives me a better ability to explain things to my clients.
0: Okay. That's interesting. So for you, it's a technical point of view. As to the I think for me personally, it was. I
1: don't think it is necessary for everyone, but for me personally, it really allowed me to to understand more of what I was doing and what the ski was doing.
0: That's interesting. I always thought it was because I've done a fair share of, share of that too, and i I've I always thought it was more about what you discover about yourself and your how you learn about things you know so it's like a journey of self-discovery you're almost putting yourself in the position of a client you know who's coming to it really raw if you've done no racing before you're you're like in a real early stage like learning learning zone you know Yeah, for sure. So I would agree
1: with that in, for me personally, like I came to mountain biking a bit later. And so I'm trying to learn to mountain bike at the moment. And I would definitely agree that it puts you in a place where you're you're less than happy on occasions. Yeah. Whereas I think maybe, I don't know, I started racing quite early in the system. Like I said, somebody gave me a tip-off to start early. So mm. um, I wasn't necessarily the most fantastic skier when I started racing. Yeah. Um, so so maybe that's why it's not for me. I, I was also maybe quite lucky that I've um, played other sports to a reasonable level, Um so found, in fact, contrary to quite a lot of people, found getting to a level three stage reasonably easy. I could make the shapes and do the movements that people mm. were asking me to do without really understanding what was happening. Yeah. And then I found once I moved from the level three to the level four, so in order to pass the Eurotest and the four tech, basically, yeah. Um, was when I had to take a step back, really, and start learning actually what I'm doing yeah. uh, in order to be able to make those finer changes.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's interesting.
1: What was Which your... I guess is where that racing side of things, where I, I felt as if it allowed me to to understand a lot more. What were your other sports? Uh, rugby oh, and right. hockey. Ah.
0: Is there any... So, must be some similarities between. I talked to Tom Waddington about this. Similarities between rugby and, and skiing in terms of kind of going off of one foot or the other. Hockey and yeah. so sure. I don't know. What, I don't. Know I yeah, lateral like, movements. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No. But I, do you know what? I think there are quite a lot of um, fundamental things in all sports, really.
0: Yeah, for sure. But, yeah, like. But both stance. rugby
1: and hockey, you have to either dribble around someone or 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 pass them don't you so Mm
0: -hmm. okay cool well what we're gonna do is let you go but i want you to plug tip top ski coaching first where 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 could um where could people find you if they wanted to find you and uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you etc
1: Excellent. So Tip Top Ski Coaching is a ski school based in Le Dersalp, um, okay. although if you are travelling to Outdoors, we can come and ski with you there as well. Okay. Um, you'll find me at www.tiptopskicoaching.com. Okay. Um, and we also obviously have a Facebook page and Instagram and Twitter and Twitter. Um, they're all on my phone, so I'm fairly good at replying to, to <laughs> things. Although, obviously, um, if I'm teaching, that might be after the lesson um, rather than during your lesson. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, we'd love some cheering up. So, if you've got some cool skiing photos um, of you guys on holiday or skiing or training or whatever it might be, please do share them. Uh, it's hashtag ski with the best um, or hashtag tip top ski coaching.
0: With the... I'm going to write these down. <laughs> That's really cool. Okay, perfect. Um, you're the first person who's plugged hashtags on here. That's uh, that's ahead of the game for sure. <laughs> uh, and um, what I might do, sorry to do this to you, Blair, but what I might do is I'll I'll save Blair as like a Christmas special. And um, because this one's got a lot of relevant current information, I think we might might push this one out a bit earlier than uh, um, sooner rather than later so uh, i'm sure blair won't mind
1: i'm sure he won't i mean he seems like a reasonable guy <laughs> he'll way. be skiing in scotland
0: <laughs> well exactly he'll be in the depths of uh, back beyond somewhere doing something <laughs> something really gnarly perfect okay well alex um, thank you so much for your time i really really enjoyed this chat and i i really um appreciate you taking the time out of your uh, out of your evening
1: but not at all thank you very much for having me on the podcast